from the campuses of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia, this is Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Shuck. I have two guests with me via Skype. They are Donald Wagner and Walter Davis. Uh, Don Wagner is the National Program Director of Friends of Sabeel North America, and Walter Davis is co-chair of the Education Committee of the Israel-Palestine Mission Network of the Presbyterian Church USA and Professor Emeritus of the Sociology of Religion at San Francisco Theological Seminary. They are the co-editors of a book released in 2014 called Zionism, and the quest for justice in the Holy Land. They're with me via Skype. Welcome, gentlemen, to Religion for Life. Thank you. Thanks, John. Nice to be with you. Tell me a little bit about yourselves by way of introduction, and if you would each do this by talking about how your consciousness was raised in regards to justice in the Holy Land. Uh, Don, can we start with you? Yeah. Uh, I was raised in... Biblical fundamentalism, uh, which we, we can call uh, dispensationalist or end-time theology as a kid. Uh, I kind of parted ways with that in junior high or high school. Went on to seminary and uh, studied at Princeton and really got caught up in uh, post-Holocaust theology, studying the Holocaust, the church's failure, uh, but Bonhoeffer's and the Confessing Church's response. So I was very pro-Israel, uh, initially from a evangelical or fundamentalist uh, theological orientation, then later from a more liberal mainline uh, Protestant. Uh, I was brought to consciousness on this when I moved from uh, New Jersey in a church there to Evanston, Illinois, in my first meeting. Uh, had a professor and another layperson who wanted to study the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And they were more sympathetic to the Palestinian side, so I said, this has to be balanced. And so I got the pro-Israel speakers, and uh, they got uh, the Palestinian side. Now I know there's no such thing as balance in this issue, but uh, we, uh, I, I began to hear for the first time a compelling narrative that I didn't buy into, but it jolted my more Zionist, liberal, uh, pro-Israel Zionism. So uh, that was my start. And ever since, I've been on a journey of study, learning, and uh, involvement. And you are the National Program Director of Friends of Sabeel of North America. Can you tell us a little bit about what Sabeel is and the Friends of Sabeel? Yeah. Um, Sabeel is a Jerusalem-based Palestinian Christian liberation theology center that does a lot of work with uh, many of the progressive Jewish organizations in Israel and Jerusalem, but also works closely with the Muslims and especially the Christian community there that we often uh, forget about. And uh, liberation theology really began with them. And uh, so now there are about nine international organizations around the world, and we're modest. Uh, and I'm the program director for North America. So what we do is we put on about four to five conferences to educate people. Uh, we take people over and run about six trips to the Middle East, which is the best education you can get. We work on publications and was, we're thrilled to work with Israel-Palestine Mission Network and the Presbyterians on 
on Zionism Unsettled and Zionism in the Quest. So this is just a little bit about what we do and work a lot on advocacy and uh, education and occasionally political action on this issue. That's Donald Wagner. Also with us via Skype is uh, Walter Davis, uh, Emeritus Professor at uh, San Francisco Theological Seminary. Uh, Walt, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and how your consciousness was raised regarding Israel-Palestine. Well, I think my consciousness was raised about the uh, Middle East um, when we were in Africa as missionaries in the 60s and 70s, and uh, especially around the uh, OPEC uh, oil boycott and then U.S. policy uh, to try to gain uh, more or less indirect control over the Middle East in order to keep the oil flowing. Um, in the 70s, uh, we uh, helped work on a uh, conference to discuss uh, the Middle East issues between Israel and Palestine uh, when it was uh, the theme of the uh, ecumenical churches to study. Uh, they, at that time, the churches were cooperating in having one mission study each year. And... Uh, we ran into a buzzsaw with the mainstream Jewish organizations who said, Israel is our issue. It's not up for, up for you to discuss. And uh, we, had, uh, we learned what it's like to be censored. But then in uh, 1981, when I came to San Francisco Seminary, uh, the first summer I was here, uh, we had a student on campus who was working on his dissertation project uh, his research proposal, and his name was Naim Atik. Uh, hmm. we, and I was uh, uh, in charge of uh, making sure that all of our students had a viable research proposal. And uh, so I uh, started working on his uh, proposal, which ended up being his book, Justice and Only Justice. Uh, which was the launching pad for uh, Sabil. So from the early 80s on, uh, I've been uh, following the issues. And when I retired in 2000, uh, I uh, got involved by uh, working on uh, the uh, developing a uh, Keep Hope Alive olive tree planting and harvesting program and uh, took groups over to Palestine to uh, see the facts on the ground for themselves and to help with uh, maintaining uh, the uh, flow of olive oil uh, in, uh, the West, in the West Bank. So then uh, I uh, was asked to serve as the chair of the uh, Israel-Palestine Mission Network uh, Education Committee and began uh, working on various publications. The latest one, uh, Zionism in the Quest for Justice in the Holy Land, and the study guide that goes with it, Zionism Unsettled. And uh, I want to talk about those two documents as, as we're going to be uh, soon. Uh, but the first I wanted to say, follow up on, on something that you said, Don. You said that it's difficult, if not impossible, to talk about balance regarding this issue. What, what do you mean by that? Well, there's several narratives that are running, uh, both in the media, but also in the churches on this. And uh, often, you know, we want to be fair. You know, as good mm -hmm. Christians or good Americans, we like to be fair, to give each side equal time. 
equal time is fine, but we often, within that, lose the fact that there's an enormous power imbalance in this issue. Uh, Israel is the fourth leading nuclear power in the world. It's uh, right up there, maybe fifth in the strongest army in the world. Uh, they have all the latest U.S. weapons and technology that we often give them. And uh, the Palestinians really don't have an air force, army. They don't have the latest weapons. So that's one thing. They're all Palestinians are also under occupation. Gaza faces an economic boycott. Uh, they don't have contiguous land. The Israeli military occupies them. So there's not equality of... Uh, political rights, human rights, uh, military power, or anything. So that when we discuss something like the Gaza uh, attack this past summer, I can't say war because it wasn't equal. It wasn't balanced. It was a disproportionate amount of power uh, that killed, uh, you know, over 2,400 Palestinians, the majority civilians, and over 500 children. So I think you have to uh, look at that and, and, and understand there may, you may want to have an equality of time, but uh, the power balance is disproportionate. Okay, th thank you for that. So that uh, the idea here is it isn't two equal sides having a balanced discussion or a balanced issue. It's really talking about a power, a powerful entity over a very less powerful entity. And so the idea of balance really doesn't come into play in that conversation. And I would add that the uh, Palestinian narrative, uh, it's difficult to get that in to mm -hmm. uh, the mainstream media, even um, into some of our religious uh, press, if you're talking about a Palestinian narrative of justice. So that's why we see the need uh, for the churches to take a stand. And it's not to be anti-Israel, it's to ask for justice. So our focus is on justice, and that's what liberation theology, that's the direction it goes, and that's why we did these publications. And uh, Walt, you, you mentioned Naim Atik, uh, uh, and you quote him in your introduction by saying that Zionism is the problem. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, uh, about Zionism and, and how that uh, contributes to this power imbalance? Uh, yes, let me start uh, with... Um, the four elements of Zionism that were on the agenda of Theodore Herzl, mm -hmm. the founder of, Zion, of political Zionism, organized political Zionism, in the 1890s. Um, Theodore Herzl had four basic themes that were like doctrines to him. Uh, first, that anti-Semitism is a permanent endemic and ineradicable element of European cultures. So Europe and America by extension are and will always be anti-Semitic. Um, and Jews living in those situations will always be discriminated against. Um, secondly, this kind of oppression in exile because uh, his framework was that all Jews who are not living in the Middle East, in, in Palestine, are in exile from the Holy Land. Uh, that 
Jewish life and culture in exile is distorted and it produces passive, servile, and self-deprecating masses of people. And thirdly, that only a Jewish state can provide safety and well-being for Jews and reverse this negative uh, uh, existence of Jews and really create a full human being, a new Jew. And therefore, once a, uh, a Jewish state is founded, then all Jews everywhere will want to immigrate to that land where they will be safe. Now, it's still those premises which are fundamental to Zionism, political Zionism, and which are causing actually the destruction of Zionism itself. The idea that Jews will never ever be safe and uh, anywhere in the world except in a Jewish state is empirically false. Uh, it has been proven. Uh, that uh, we have learned a lesson from the Holocaust and that uh, the protection, the equal protection of rights of Jews in uh, Europe and in the U.S. is a fundamental right. Um, secondly, a Jewish state becomes a discriminatory state. And the Palestinians, as someone wrote recently, the Palestinians are the last victims of the Holocaust because they have become the victims of a discriminatory Zionist Jewish state. So it's, it's those premises which are still at work and which are becoming more violent now in dispossessing the Palestinians and uh, making... Uh, making uh, real enemies, uh, meanness, anger, hate, uh, foment in, in the struggle for peace in the Middle East. If you're just joining us on Religion for Life, my guests are Donald Wagner and Walter Davis. They are co-editors of a book called Zionism and the Quest for Justice in the Holy Land. Uh, let's talk about the book itself. Uh, what, uh, what is the goal of this book and how, how did it come to be? Well, I'll start, and Walt, you chime in. From Friends of Sabeel, we, uh, we had formed a theology committee uh, with some theologians and some lay people on it, and we decided we need to do a uh, theological study of Zionism and Christian Zionism in the different forms. Most of the different forms, other than the uh, evangelical fundamentalists, have not been uh, kind of analyzed and written about. So, and we wanted to do it with Jewish and Muslim and other Christian partners. Lo and behold, and here I'll hand it over to Walt, the Israel-Palestine Mission Network had been doing a study on Zionism. And Walt, why don't you take it from there? Because we then began to talk to each other. <laughs> Good. Um, the Zionism of today uh, which is uh, 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 a right-wing Zionism, um, political Zionism, uh, and a deterioration from earlier forms of, of Zionism, uh, that that Zionism served as a driving motivation uh, 
it was the ideology that prevented uh, peace between uh, Palestinians and Israelis. Now, of course, there is another Islamic uh, ideology that is also uh, uh, a driving force for uh, some of the violent resistance against the violence of the occupation. But at any rate, we decided, and the more we got into it, the more we realized that um, Jim Crow segregation existed because of an ideology. It, it wasn't just a form of injustice. It was a theologically justified form of injustice that uh, drove people to do what they did. And we realized also that uh, the apartheid uh, doctrine in South Africa was an ideology, a distorted theology, actually, that uh, was driving the uh, oppression of black Africans in South Africa. And uh, so we rec recognized that actually uh, Zionism is, uh, uh, plays the same role. Uh, and it is... Uh, it needs to be taken on at the theological level. Do you think the response to um, this work, uh, for example, the study guide Zionism Unsettled, which, by the way, is now not sold uh, at the Presbyterian Church uh, store, uh, and all of the controversy and all of the uh, uh, um, what criticism of that, uh, what do you make of that? Uh, what do you make of the comparison of, of, of this work of Zionism Unsettled and perhaps your book, Zionism and the Quest for Justice for the Holy Land, that it will be considered to be anti-Semitic? Well, of course, that's the first charge. Uh, if you criticize Israel, the Zionist, uh, and especially the right-wing Zionists, will call you an anti-Semitic, anti-Semite. Mm -hmm. uh, then if you criticize the, the dominant ideology, Zionism, uh, you're really a, a, an anti-Semite. And those charges were leveled at us. But interestingly enough, none of the accusations mentioned the fact that four-fifths of the authors quoted in Zionism Unsettled are Jews. And one of the contributors in both the study guide and the book was Rabbi Brant Rosen. Yes. And his uh, key article in which he says, um, this is a quote from page uh, 75, to put it plainly, a voice that affirms the claims of theological superiority in the name of one people cannot be the voice of God. A voice that asserts God's word to humanity was vouchsafed exclusively to the children of Abraham cannot be the voice of God. A voice that looks to the messianic day in which all nations will ultimately serve the God of Israel cannot be the voice of God. If we seek an expression of Jewish peoplehood that reflects the highest ethical calling of our day, we will quite simply have to search elsewhere. Uh, and I would say that that paragraph on page 75 is kind of the jumping off point for the whole book. Uh, it, it is that idea of criticizing exceptionalism that all the authors pick up on. And of course, you're quoting Brant Rosen, who uh, 
who paid a price, in a sense, for speaking out, didn't he? Uh, I, I understand recently that he's no longer the rabbi of his congregation. He'll still be there for another few months to sort of work out his contract. But because of his uh, vo- uh, vocal uh, uh, solidarity with the Palestinians, both in his book, Wrestling in the Daylight, uh, that book and then his, his article in, in uh, this book and uh, then his... Uh, uh, speaking engagements all around the country, uh, including at the General Assembly, uh, have put him at odds with a small group within his uh, within his synagogue, only about 70 people out of a thousand. And uh, because of that, he felt he could no longer be a unifying factor. Yeah, so let, me, let me add to that. This, I think this is, I don't know, you hate to say, but it's the central chapter of the book. And uh, Brant's become a close friend. Uh, we're both in the Chicago area and get together. Uh, he could have stayed. Uh, hmm. Over 90% of the congregation wanted him. The president and the board wanted him to stay. But uh, he felt that this was getting divisive. And I think, frankly, he was ready for a change. He'd been there 17 years, done a lot of things. So he, on December 1st, he will become the Midwest Director of American Friends Service Committee. And I think this will give him a larger stage, and uh, it keeps him in the peace community, and I'm thankful he stays in the Chicago area. So what we really have done is to break a taboo uh, and show that the Jewish community is divided and that voices that are critical of uh, the, the practices of the occupation, the military occupation, of Israel by the uh, uh, of the Palestinians, who are critical of uh, Zionism itself, are called self-hating Jews. So they are victimized just the same way that um, others are victimized who dare raise the issue. Because of all of the opposition, the leadership of the Presbyterian Church. They, they were really uh, threatened right after the uh, General Assembly in June mm-hmm. and had to place police cars around the headquarters in Louisville. And they felt that um, they could uh, uh, soften some of that criticism if they just took uh, Zionism Unsettled off uh, of the uh, uh, Presbyterian bookstore. But behind the issue was the action of the General Assembly itself about divestment. Well, I, well so yeah, let's, let, to, let's talk about that for a second, because we just have about a minute left. But I do want to talk about the significance of the PCUSA divestment decision against uh, American corporations. Um, and the, the, the divestment was really about not willing to profit from the occupation. Uh, but I want to talk about just in general that that question and what do you see as the movement and awareness happening uh, among people in the United States, among people in the churches uh, regarding the situation in Israel-Palestine? Well, I'll take a crack. There's a couple questions there. Um, first of all, I think the awareness of uh, the situation in Israel-Palestine is uh, is increasing, but it, it it's kind of shallow. It's kind of skin deep, and our media doesn't help us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's getting our mainstream media, and and 
a lot of the pro-Israel forces, the lobby and, and others, have done a very clever job at dominating a particular narrative that's a very pro-Israel narrative. And I grew up with that. I got it in the churches to reinforce it, in Sunday school and in seminary even. But it's changing. And I think people have seen uh, how the recent Kerry plan, the end of Oslo, uh, has come to a screeching halt. And even John Kerry, who was very sympathetic and pro-Israel, said the problem were the settlements. And uh, the political advisor, Martin Indyk, who works for the U.S. as a political advisor, came straight out of the pro-Israel lobby, said that Israel is moving toward an apartheid state. And it really, it already is there. And then the Gaza attacks, the merciless attacks and the slaughter this summer, I think got even more people aware that Israel is on a dangerous course. I feel that I'm very sympathetic with uh, my Jewish friends, particularly those who are willing to talk about justice and take a lot of uh, criticism and attacks. But I think we need to stand uh, with them and kind of say that Israel is on a very dangerous course. It is losing credibility globally. And that's begun in this country. Uh, the BBC did a poll on uh, some of the more unpopular nations in the world uh, three years ago, and Israel ranked third from the bottom. Uh, only South Korea or North Korea, and I think uh, Iran were more unpopular. So Israel has to change things, and the U.S. is being dragged down with it, and people are beginning to see that. So I think what we are doing is calling Israel and Jews back to their roots, where they stood with us in the civil rights movement. They stood with us against apartheid, and now with apartheid and a wall going up after the Berlin Wall is long gone, uh, that's all going up. So they're turning the clock back, this new regime in Israel, uh, to very unhuman and un-Jewish practices. And if Christians just echo those and support it, I think we're not doing them a favor. And what we need is some tough love. And that's why we are talking about you know the dangers of Zionism and to talk about it theologically as well as politically and morally. So... Uh, Divestment gets at all that. Divestment, and by the way, when the Presbyterian Church voted on this, we're divesting from U.S. corporations. We're not divesting from Israel. Mm -hmm. There's a criticism of Israel in the occupation, but with bulldozers destroying homes, running over people and killing them, uh, we can't support Caterpillar if it's going to continue to profit from that. I have pension funds. For me, it's an act of Christian stewardship. I do not want to profit from another people's suffering. It's as simple as that. And our denomination has divested from alcohol, from uh, arms dealing, and this is consistent with what we've done. But it so happens when we do it in the case of U.S. Uh, uh, corporations doing business with the Israeli military, then it suddenly is unpopular. But it's the, mora the moral issues are the same. So for me, it's an act of Christian stewardship, and I, I'm thankful that our denomination went this direction, and many other denominations are moving the same direction. So we're hopeful that this is a peaceful, nonviolent way to raise moral issues and to raise the issues of the things that make for peace. 
My guests today on Religion for Life have been Donald Wagner and Walter Davis, co-editors of an important book, Zionism and the Quest for Justice in the Holy Land. Uh, Sorry we're out of time, but thank you both for being with me today on Religion for Life. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. And the study guide, Zionism Unsettled, which even though it's not for sale at the Presbyterian store, can be purchased at the Israel-Palestine Mission Network's website, www.theipmn.org. You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. I'm John Schuck. You can find more information about Religion for Life at religionforlife.com. Go there for links to podcasts. Religion for Life is co-produced by WETS-FM in Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC-FM, Emory, Virginia. Be well.